Okay, um, in this sermon series, we have uh, covered 15 and a half uh, chapters over the course of two full years with two breaks. And I was doing the math earlier on, something like 58 uh, sermons. Okay, so 58 sermons. So it's been a while in coming. But today what happens? Today we come to the center Uh, We come to the crux of the Christian faith, don't we? This morning we come to the beating heart, we come to the focal point of the Christian religion. Having looked at so much of the life of Jesus, so much of his ministry this morning, at long, long, long last. As a congregation, we come now to the cross. We come today to Calvary. Now, I... I do want us to approach things slightly differently this morning. If you are part of London City Presbyterian Church, you know how we normally do things. You, you know that we are normally approaching a portion of Scripture systematically, don't we? We'll take a portion of Scripture and we'll look at the first bit of it. We'll notice something about it, then we'll move on. The next part of a section, we'll notice something about that. I do not want us to do that today, and I'll tell you why. I think in this portion of Scripture, Mark has three themes, you know, three motifs that he seems to thread all the way through the portion of Scripture. So what I want us to do today, really, for each of our three points is to look at the whole of the portion of Scripture from top to bottom. You see it? Three times this morning to look at the entirety of Mark 15 from verse 16 to verse 32. Three times we look at the whole of this portion of scripture. And the first theme that I want us to consider here is what we'll call the motif of mockery. The motif of mockery. Okay, now you know as well as I do that as part of their sort of charitable responsibilities, pop singers and entertainers now and again will fly off to far off parts of the world to entertain the troops and entertain soldiers. Isn't that right? Um, I was going to show my age there, but I'll try not to. Let's say uh, Katy Perry will fly off to a warship to sing, or if the authorities don't really mind uh, about troop morale, maybe Justin Bieber will be flown off to, to Afghanistan to perform or to, to sing. You, sh- you know the idea, performing for the troops, encouraging the Now, isn't it something akin to that that we're dealing with in Mark chapter 15? Because you know the, the background, hopefully, surely you do. Jesus has just faced a Roman trial. Like, so he has just been dragged to Pilate's temporary residence, which is most likely the luxurious Herodian palace. And he's just been interrogated. And he's just been sentenced to death. And what happens this morning? The soldiers take over, don't they? And they drag Jesus and they drag him through this luxurious palace and out to this massive open courtyard. And you look at verse 16 with me. What are we told? What do the soldiers do? They now get together. Look at the words there. The whole battalion of soldiers. I wonder if you see what that means. Do you see the picture you've got? That meant about... 600 soldiers. 
Like Jesus is dragged in front of 600 soldiers. Now, see those people I just mentioned. Who are they? Uh, Katy Perry, Justin Bieber. What do they do in front of the troops? They're performing. They're singing. Ah, it's not like this. I mean, you see that Jesus here is just a, just a source of ridicule for all of these hundreds of people. And if you're a Christian in here this morning, surely, surely you're, you're, you're coming to this with attentiveness and a sense of reverence. Look what happens here. First of all, your Lord is stripped. I mean, even the, but the embarrassment of that in front of all these, these soldiers, humbly stripped. And then look what happens next. They, they make him dress in what we will call this morning, I suppose, fancy dress. That's what it is, isn't it? There's a robe and the idea of the silly hat is... Oh, no, you can see the soldiers. They're, they're laughing at him. They're ridiculing, pointing at him, laughing at Jesus. And don't, don't miss the violence. Because it's so easy for us to forget what's already happened. He's already been scourged. He's already endured that horrific, torturous process that often led led to death. He's already bleeding. He's already battered. And then look at verse 19. And remember, there's hundreds of them. They they begin to punch Jesus. They begin to, to hit Jesus. They begin to spit on him. It's awful. Now... What did I say we were going to do this morning? We're going to look at this this whole thing through. So I would ask you as a congregation to notice the very next short phrase. And it's at the end of verse 20. What a phrase it is though. Look at it. What do they do now? And they let him out to... They let him out to crucify him. Now, uh, Mark tells the actual crucifixion story... And he does so with that economy words that we mentioned last week. Now, you see what I mean by that? Like, Mark is not too concerned to tell you all the gory details and the blood and the guts of the crucifixion, is he? But still, we have to at least understand what was going on here. So so I'm asking you, you understand, don't you, what was involved in crucifixion? You know, the victim was attached, fixed to a long wooden beam on the ground. That beam then lifted, raised high, where that person would hang until they suffocated under their own body weight. And and Josephus, the Jewish historian, he called it this. He said this. He said, it was the most wretched of all ways a person could die. And then Cicero said this about crucifixion. He said, it is by far the most cruel and it is the most horrifying punishment. And without you and I this morning dwelling on that, we say, surely it was. Surely it was. But actually, it is the reaction to this vicious process that I want you to see. So I I would... I would ask you, invite you to look at verse 29. Everyone, to verse 29. Now look at the reaction to Calvary and the cross. Look at this verse 29. So we're told that there were powers by. And what do they do? They deride him, they wag their heads, and they shout abuse. Now you consider that just for a moment. Who are these people? 
Like some of these people are people who are coming into Jerusalem for the Passover feast. They are coming in to worship God. And as they do that at the same time, what are they, they are heaping abuse on the very Son of God Himself. Work on. Verse 31. Look at it. We see that the chief priests also join in the mockery. It's different this time. Isn't it? Do you see what the chief priests are doing? They are mocking Jesus, not to his face, but amongst themselves. There's something worse than that, is there not? Jesus is being mocked, ridiculed, actually, behind his back. And then look even to the final phrase in this section. Look at verse 32. We are told that even... The criminals who are hanging either side of the Lord, they lift up their voices in derision. Do you see what Mark is saying to us here? He's saying everyone was at this. Everyone here, everyone was laughing at Jesus, mocking him, heaping abuse on him from the chief priests to the ordinary people to the Gentile soldiers, right through to the scum on the cross. Everyone laughing at Jesus in this vicious death. I don't need to say to you this morning, this is disturbing stuff. Isn't it disturbing material for us to be confronted with again? Let me say two very short things about this. One, you see the mockery? It was for you, Christian friends. Let there be nobody in this room just now who just looks at this death and thinks, oh, that was a terrible death, the most horrifying death. Don't you just think, don't think that it was just a very unjust death. Understand much more going on at Calvary than that. Understand that he was being mocked for his people. Facing all of this abuse, why? In their place for their salvation. If you are a child of God this morning, please meditate upon that for a moment. Your Lord mocked by everyone there. Mocked like this. Why? So that one day you might receive the honor of God. It was for you. The second thing to say about this. You see the mockery? It will one day happen to you. Now of course that needs to be qualified. It's unlikely there's anyone in this room who is ever going to be crucified. There is no Christian in this room who will ever face the cursing of God. But surely what we have to realize is that discipleship, what does it involve? Taking up our cross and following Jesus. And surely part of that is the mockery that we will face as Christians. And I'm saying to you, isn't it true that perhaps we are guilty in the church and in our families of not preparing younger believers for that element of Christian discipleship? Isn't that true? I mean, perhaps we're guilty of not equipping our kids, readying young Christians, our children, for the rejection that they're going to face, the ridicule that they're going to face, the abuse that they're going to face, if they, in this world, take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm saying to you, as your minister, we've got to get better at this. As a church, as parents, we've got to teach, equip our kids for Christian living. But isn't there also encouragement that we can give them? Friends, what do you see when you look at Mark 15? You see, to whom we can turn in such times of abuse and rejection. Isn't that right? 
Friends, are you facing a barrage of abuse at the workplace in your family, friends, because you are a Christian? Are you ridiculed? You can turn here. You can turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was one who was mocked. He was mocked in a way we can't imagine. He was mocked by everyone and he was mocked for you, for your salvation. So we see in Mark 15 a motif of mockery. Okay, let's move on. A second thing that we see here, a second theme is the motif of enthronement. The motif of enthronement. Enthronement. Okay. Right, let's, we've gone through the text once, let's go back to the top. So, have we all got the scene? Do we all realize where we are now? We are back in this courtyard with all of these Roman soldiers. Our Lord, before 600 men who are baying for blood. Now, I said a moment ago that he was dressed in fancy dress. Let's try and tie that down just a little bit, shall we? Would you look at verse 17 to see the, the, the detail of it? We see that he is dressed in a robe. Interestingly, you see that Mark specifies the color. Boys and girls, what color was the robe? What color does Mark say the robe was Jesus was forced to wear? Purple. A, a purple robe. Do you see the significance of this? Purple's not just the most expensive color in antiquity. It was the color of, of monarchy. You see? And then, what did we see? A robe. The, I said the idea of a funny hat, of course. Except for the fact it was neither funny nor a hat. What was it? Crown. And a crown of thorns. Now we see, wait a minute, this robe of monarchy and the, this crown. We see a theme building up. So what do the Romans do at this point? These men, what do they do? Just as they would in the coronation of Caesar, what they begin to do? Now can you see them? Hundreds of them. They begin to hail Jesus. They all, all begin, hundreds of them, bowing down in this sort of mock homage to, to the... Do you see what's going on? I mean, this isn't just them laughing at Jesus. Do you see what this is? This is a mock enthronement ceremony. Isn't it? I mean, they're laughing at Jesus, claim to be king, and I'm saying to you, isn't there the most disgusting kind of irony in this? Because they don't understand, they don't get it, but what do we know? We know they're doing something that's right and, and, and true. They're doing it unwittingly. But they are praising Jesus as King, as the Christ. I think the next detail is a tough detail. Because in the next detail we see the frailty and the weakness of Jesus of, of Nazareth at this point. The Romans now force a man, Simon of Cyrene, to Carry the cross. Now he is uh, somebody that was obviously known to Mark's first readership, but, but where did they lead Jesus in his pain? And his weakness, they lead him now to Golgotha, the place of the skull, the place of death. Our Lord is here. Now, I'm pretty sure everyone in the room just now is familiar with how our courts work in the United Kingdom. Hopefully, you're not too familiar with how the courts in this country work. But even if uh, you've been watching 
legal dramas on your Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever it is. You know how the court, you know that judges in this country and elsewhere, the judges are very, very specific about the crime that is committed. So how does it work? The judge will take a gavel in his hand and he won't bang it down there and say, I sentence you to five years. What will a judge say? I think. Bang the gavel down and say, for the crime of, very specific about the crime, for the crime of, I sentence you to however long it will be. Now, what I think we have to understand is that the Romans of the first century were also incredibly specific about crime. That for every person who was crucified, that they raised above them a sign that detailed the very specific nature of the offence. Now, I'll tell you what I want to do. I want to turn this to you this morning. I want to ask you, if you were Pilate, what would you have written on that sign above Jesus' head? Now, come on. If you were Pilate, now think about it for a moment. Like, think about the atmosphere in Jerusalem at the time. What do we know? We know there's been this famous uprising against Pilate. We know the Jews are really restless. What we've written, we maybe would have written, here's what you get if you mess with us. Yes, it's a deterrent. We'd have written, this man is a traitor against Rome, a rebel against Rome. We would have written something like that. And look at verse 26. (laughs) What does God get him to write? The king of the Jews. Not he aspired to be, not he claimed to be, but the king of the Jews. Don't you think that is a wonderful detail? Even at the place of the skull itself, what do you see? You see a royal banner raised high above the king of kings. And then there's a last detail on this, because we have to also consider the words of the chief priests. Now, if you've been here for the sermon series, you're sick of the chief priests, aren't you? I'm sick of the chief priests. We've had a lot of dealings with these chief priests. And at this point, they're in this huddle, and they're laughing at Jesus. I want to draw your attention to the precise words that they use. Have a look in verse 32. They look to each other. I know it's in jest and I know it's in in ridicule. But look what they say. Look from the lips of the religious elite. They call Jesus what? The Christ. They call him the king of Israel. And isn't that incredible? Friends, do you see what is happening? Just Caiaphas unwittingly saying that one person must die for all the people. What's happening here? Mark showing us that everything at the cross and everyone was being used by God to point to a truth. Do you see what's happening at the cross? Do you see what's going on? Everyone declaring, yes, Jesus died. He died. But he died as the Christ. He died as the King of Kings, didn't he? That's what we're being shown. He died as the Messiah of God. And again, if you are a believer this morning... Let me remind you of this greatest truth. This divine monarch, the one who rules over all things, laid down his life for you. That's staggering, is it not? I mean, we look at kings today in this world and throughout history, and the one thing that draws them all together is their insatiable appetite for power. Kings want to retain power. They want to increase power. 
but not the king of kings. So concerned was he for you that he lays down his power at the cross for your salvation. What happened at Calvary? What was it all about? What does 2 Timothy 2 tell us? This king lays down his power that one day you might reign and reign with him. We see a motif of mockery, but we see a motif of enthronement. And then we conclude this morning with a third thing, and it is the motif of fulfillment. Fulfillment. Um, You'll know if you've been here before, or if you're a member of the congregation You'll know how we usually roll on a Sunday morning. We work through books of the Bible in general. That we don't tend to pick texts from all over Scripture. But the usual practice is for us to work systematically through a book of the Bible. And you might say, well, there's disadvantages in doing that. Maybe there are. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick to it. I, I think there's at least a couple of advantages to, to us approaching God's word like that. Uh, first of all, it's almost the case, I guess, you think that God sets the text. I'm not going to spend Monday and Tuesday worrying about uh, what we're going to look at next Sunday. We know, don't we? We're moving on in Mark's gospel. God sets the agenda. But there's another advantage, I think, to doing it this way. And it's the fact that you and I... We now come, if we do it like this, we come to a text armed. Will you agree? Like we come now to a text and we've got all the ammunition of the background to the story. We're all fee, we're familiar with the story, like everything that has just passed. You see, it's all there. We've got it, it's ready at our fingertips. Now, here's the thing. That's pretty well to say. I wonder if you see what we are supposed to see. In Mark chapter 15, I cheated a little bit because I put it in for our first reading uh, this morning. Now, did you notice what we were told in Mark chapter 10? What, what honestly we are supposed to have in our minds as we come to the cross? In Mark 10, Jesus made a prediction, a prophecy. He predicted that he would be handed over to the Gentile soldiers and that they would do four things to him. Let me read those out. Jesus predicted that they would mock him. They would spit on him. They would flog him. And they would kill him. You see, it was fulfilled, wasn't it? Now imagine... Our Lord, as he is dragged in front of those soldiers, he comes with full, perfect knowledge of the pain that he is about to endure. It was foretold, it was fulfilled. But then we get to the cross. So that was fulfilled. We get to the cross and we have this really peculiar detail. Draw your attention to it. It's in verse 23. Such a strange detail. We're told, Mark tells us, that the people offered Jesus Wine, all right. They offer Jesus wine mixed with myrrh. It's a, it's a sort. It's the idea of a basic narcotic, you know, something to 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 numb Jesus' pain at the time. And you'll notice it's something he refuses, atoning for your sin in full consciousness. Yes, but I've got a question about it. 
Why does Mark bother recording such a detail? The wine. Like, you agree with me, don't you? There must have been so much happening in front of the soldiers. Jesus led through Jerusalem at the cross. There were so many things going on. And Mark chooses to record, record a seemingly inconsequential detail. You know the answer though, don't you? Why does he record it? Because that detail hundreds of years beforehand has been predicted and prophesied. Psalm 69, that in his pain, the righteous one would be given what? What? Sour wine to drink. That too foretold, fulfilled. Carry on. Look at the next detail. The next two details. Look at verse 24. We've looked at this as a congregation before. The soldiers casting lots for Jesus' clothes. If you know your Bible, even if you remember what we sung a moment ago, what do you say? What do you say? You say this is Psalm number 22, isn't it? They divide my garments amongst them, casting lots. It's fulfilled. Jesus crucified between the two criminals. What do you say about that? You scream out. What do you scream? Isaiah 53. The suffering one in his death. Numbered with the transgressors. And all of this takes us to, it takes us to a detail that I think that, that we often overlook at the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's something I must confess that I had never really paid any attention to before. Look at verse 29. You have these passers by and they are, do you see the details? They're hurling abuse at Jesus. They're deriding him and they're ridiculing him. What's the other detail you have there? They wag their heads at Jesus. I am not even sure that I know what that looks like. I know it's abuse. I know it's aggression. But isn't it so strange? They wag their heads. Isn't it such an odd detail and it's odd until we see it in light of holy scripture because time and again in the bible that is emphasized for us psalm 109 listen to this i am an object of scorn and they wag their heads at me lamentations chapter 2 they all hiss at me and they wag their heads (laughs) At me. Do you see it, friends? Mark is showing you here in this portion of scripture that every detail recorded has been foretold. Everything here was planned and predicted. He's showing you that this death that we are dealing with here, it wasn't an accident. It wasn't a small twist of fate. What was it? Even this element of Jesus' ministry, it was something planned and purposed by the Lord our God. And I think we can close this morning now understanding what the chief priests could not understand. Because they're laughing amongst themselves, they're pointing over to Jesus and they're saying, if he working, if he truly working, he would come down. He's king, why does he stay on the cross? And you Christian friend know the answer to that. Why did he remain on that cross? He did so to fulfill that great plan of redemption. He did it for you. 
He knew that if you were ever to be forgiven for your sin, you needed a righteous substitute. You needed someone who would who would take the punishment for the sin that you deserve. He knew that with perfect clarity. And so what did the Lord Jesus Christ do? He remained upon that awful, brutal cross. And for you, he submitted himself to death. I wonder this morning if you see what God is doing in your life today. Do you? Do you see what God has done? He's woken you up this morning. He's taken you by the hand. He's taken you in here to Mark 15. And God has brought you to the foot of the cross. I wonder if you hear what he's saying to you. He's surely saying, have you trusted in this righteous one? Have you trusted in this, the Christ? Have you? Friend, have you trusted in Jesus? If so, surely there is no better time than today for us to recommit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, to look at all of these details and this horror and to say, yes, Jesus, gratitude and wonder and praise, I will live in everything, not just in some things, but everything for you. May it be that in sincerity, we all bow to Jesus this morning. What do we see before us? Behold the cross. Behold Calvary. Behold the King of Kings. Let's pray.